You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Where do writers get their ideas from? David Mamet has said, People ask me, where do you get your ideas? I tell them there's this little Mexican guy, sells them off the back of his truck in Van Nuys Sunday mornings. The intent of the gag is, I have no idea where my ideas come from. Stephen King has said, quote, Let's get one thing clear right now, shall we? There is no idea dump, no story central, no island of the buried bestsellers. Good story ideas seem to come quite literally from nowhere, sailing at you right out of the empty sky. Two previously unrelated ideas come together and make something new under the sun. Your job isn't to find these ideas, but to recognize them when they show up. End quote. Hello, this is Mark Redfield. Welcome to the program. Some writers keep notebooks that they fill with images, ideas, snatches of dialogue. Stephen King doesn't. He trusts that the good ideas stick, bad ideas fall away. He describes the state a writer is in when working as a childlike dream state. Not childish, childlike. No logic, no linear, no logical. Where did Edgar Poe get his ideas? Did Poe keep an idea diary? There is no historical memento of such a thing. We don't know if Poe kept such a working diary or not. He did rewrite his poems and tales throughout his life, tinkering, shaping, and reshaping. Sometimes, as in the case with his poetry, retitle a poem. The new title sometimes reveals new color. Poe's tale, The Cask of Amontillado, was published in November of 1846 in a magazine. The story is simple. Set in an Italian city during Carnival, two lovers of wine encounter each other one evening. The one, Montresor, the story's narrator, is a twisted piece of malignant evil who has plotted revenge and murder of an acquaintance he has long suffered, called Fortunato. Montresor gives no reason for his rage and need for revenge. He never tells us what Fortunato has done to so greatly wrong and wound him. Montresor's reason isn't important to Poe. It isn't important to us. The weaker the transgression, the greater the evil. The fact that we don't know what set Montresor's wheels of slow torture and eventual murder makes the story more chilling. Let the reader, and in this case the listener, fill in the blanks. Literary detectives aren't satisfied with this. They have spent a great deal of time coming through Poe's life for clues that might reveal where Poe got the idea for the cask of Amontillado. None of them are provable. Poe didn't leave behind notes, just a powerful short story that slow burns to a great, if terrible, climax. The fear of premature burial was very real in Poe's day, and Fortunato's predicament, and at the hands of his acquaintance Montresor, would send a special chill through readers of the day. Literary detectives, Poe scholars, have uncovered an episode in Poe's life that may or may not have been the seed of the idea for Cask. When Poe was in the army, an apocryphal legend holds that the inspiration for the Cask of Amontillado came from a story 
Poe heard at Castle Island, which is South Boston, Massachusetts, when he was a private stationed at Fort Independence in 1827. According to this legend, he saw a monument to Lieutenant Robert Massey. Historically, Massey had been killed in a sword duel on Christmas Day, 1817, by Lieutenant Gustavus Drain, following some dispute during a card game. The legend has it that other soldiers then took revenge on Drain by getting him drunk, luring him into the dungeon, chaining him to a wall, and sealing him in a vault. And this version of Drain's demise is false. It's not true. Drain was court-martialed for the killing and acquitted, and lived until 1846, when Poe's story was published. What we do know, what Poe scholars do understand very, very clearly, is that Poe wrote this tale as a response to his personal rival with Thomas Dunn English. Poe and English had several confrontations, and they usually involved uh, uh, literary caricatures of each other. Poe thought that one of English's writings went a bit too far, and he successfully sued the other man's editors at the New York Mirror for libel in 1846. And that year, English published a revenge-based novel called 1844 or The Power of the SF. It's plot convoluted, but it made references to secret societies and ultimately had a main theme of revenge in it. It included, and this is delicious, it included a character named Marmaduke Hammerhead. That's a character name that I'm going to use in something for sure. And this Marmaduke Hammerhead was the famous author of something called The Black Crow, who uses phrases like nevermore and lost Lenore. And of course, it's taking direct aim at Poe's poem, The Raven. This ugly caricature of Poe was depicted as a drunkard, liar, and an abusive lover. Well, Poe sharpened his quill and responded with the cask of Amontillado, using very specific references to Thomas Dunn English's novel. In Poe's story, for example, Fortunato makes reference to the secret society of Masons, similar to the secret society in English's novel, and even makes a gesture similar to one portrayed in the novel. It's a signal of distress. English had also used an image of a token with a hawk grasping a snake in its claws, similar to Montresor's coat of arms, uh, bearing a foot stomping on a snake, though in this image the snake is biting the heel. In fact, much of the scene of the cask of Amontillado comes from a scene in English's novel that takes place in a subterranean vault. In the end, then, it is Poe who, quote, punishes with impunity, end quote, by not taking credit for his own literary revenge and by crafting a concise tale, as opposed to a novel, with a singular effect, as he had suggested in his essay, The Philosophy of Composition. Poe's Montresor had his revenge on Dunn's Fortunato. Poe's work is remembered. Dunn's is forgotten. So there it is. Let me take you back in time now to an Italian city in the throes of celebrating Carnival and let old Montresor tell you the story himself. 
This story, written by Edgar Allan Poe, was published at the height of his career after he had written The Raven and had become something of a rock star in his time. A cask, a wooden barrel, Amontillado, kind of sherry, named after a region in Spain. Two characters, Fortunado and Montresor, put them all together and you have the cask of Amontillado. Remember <coughs> the thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. <laughs> However, I gave no utterance of a threat. I would be avenged at length. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes the redresser, and therefore I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. Understand, neither by word or deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. So long ago, it still rings in my ear. And he had the impudence to pretend an apology. Oh, my friend. My friend. <laughs> I'm glad you took no insult. <laughs> Sorry. A toast. Friendship. For all eternity. <laughs> I continued to smile in his face. And he did not perceive that my smile was now at the thought of his obliteration. Fortunato had a weak point. He prided himself in his connoisseurship in wine. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself and bought largely whenever I could. It was just about dusk when I encountered my friend during the supreme madness of carnival season. I noticed him, though I had acted as if I hadn't, forcing him to pursue me. Montresor! Montresor! It, it's me! It's, it's, excuse me. Excuse me. Montresor! 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 Hello. Hello, my dear friend. Fortunato? <laughs> yes, c'est moi. <laughs> I almost didn't recognize you, uh, dressed as you are. You mean as a fool? Yes. Well, in keeping with the spirit of carnival, for tonight... I am fortune's fool. Then, as fortune's fool, you are well and most fortunately met. For I have, um, what I hope to be a rare Epicurean treat. Um, but I have my doubts. Oh, you intrigue me, Montresor. I will do more than that, my friend, for I have what passes for a cask of Amontillado. But, I, as I say, I, I, I have my doubts. What? <laughs> How? Amont Amontillado? Mm -hmm. An entire... <laughs> impossible. In the middle of Carnival. Uh, a cask? <laughs> impossible. You, you say Amontillado. I have my doubts, and silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you first. Well, you should have consulted me. Where did you get it? I couldn't consult you, and you were nowhere to be found. Mm. I was afraid of losing a bargain. I understand. 
A full barrel? Mm-hmm. Amontillado. Mm-hmm, but I have my doubts. Amontillado. And I must have satisfaction. I must know. Mm, Amontillado. <laughs> yes. In fact, I was just on my way to see Lucchese. If anyone can give me a definitive assessment, he can. So, Lucchese? <laughs> he couldn't tell an Amontillado from Sherry. Well, by some, his taste is regarded as equal to your own. By who? By fools. Don't insult me, Montresor. No insult intended. Well, then, none taken. It is unfortunate. What is? Well, I'm on my way to meet my good wife, the Lady Fortunato. Were it not for this, I would return with you now to give you my assessment. That is unfortunate. Well, I suppose I have no recourse but to keep my appointment with Lucchese. Good day, Fortunato. Wait, 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 wait. Let me think a moment. I will return with you now, Montresor, to test this Amontillado of yours. Ah, nothing would make me happier. Let us go. <laughs> I felt intoxicated by my elation, but with the skill of an actor, outwardly showed nothing. I remember I said to him, I do not believe you have ever visited my wine cellar before. A slight I shall make amends for today. Yes, you shall. Their legend precedes them. I had him, but could not resist the temptation to uh, play. <laughs> I said, they ha- are very extensive, but my friend, no, I, I, I have reconsidered. I, um, I will not impose upon your good nature. It is not an imposition. I will not allow Lucchese. Well, you said something about having to pick up your fool's costume for the carnival. But- about? Are you drunk? I'm already dressed like a fool. Of course you are. Oh, perhaps memory invented that. <laughs> memory does. We only remember once. After that, we remember only the memory of the memory of the memory. So we continued our progress toward my palazzo. Then he suddenly <laughs> sneezed. He sniffled and muttered. Where's that handkerchief? Oh, my friend, now I see you're coming down with a cold. My, my vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. It would be terrible for your cold. <laughs> nitre? Mm. Uh, the cold is a mere nothing. <laughs> oh... Perhaps you don't wish to share, Montresor, but would prefer to share with Lucchese. No assertion could be as distant from the truth as the one you have just made. Truth. Difficult thing to unravel. Amontillado. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let us proceed with alacrity. Then Fortunato mumbled under his breath in contempt. Lucchese. And then, as if newly reinvigorated, he set the pace and bellowed into the night air. To there we shall see. And more. <laughs> I quietly suffered his already inebriated stumbles and the abuse of his mere presence. Smiling broader and broader with each step, I knew my home would be empty. I had told the servants that I would not be back and given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. This was sufficient, I knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance. One and all, 
the minute my back was turned. You have a nice home, Montresor. Its modest nature does not detract from its charm. This way, I cannot wait. Nor I. I took from their sconces two detachable lanterns and handed one to Fortunato. Ah, very clever. Thank you, Montresor. I bade Fortunato to be careful on the spiral stairs. Are an interesting feature. My ancestors were eccentric, and our vaults are, in their own way, peculiar. I placed my trust in you. And it is well placed. We descended a long and winding staircase that led to the catacombs and the wine cellars. His safety was my concern. Oh, careful there. Uh, uh, broken step. No, no, I'm fine, fine. Proceed. We came at length to the front the foot of the descent. We stood a few moments together on the damp grounds of the catacombs, adjusting to our environment. Then we continued on. His gait was increasingly unsteady. His dress gave the impending horror the piquancy of the absurd. How much further? The catacombs are extensive. Uh, this, this way. What is that? On the walls? The nighter. Oh. Oddly beautiful in its own way, though it does not contribute to the health of the air. No, indeed not. Notice also the quite intricate webs of the multiplicity of spiders. I have never seen specimens so massive in their construction. Hmm. How much further? <coughs> further. <coughs> you, oh, your cough. We, we must head back. <coughs> Nonsense! Oh, nonsense! We are here! Lead the way! If you insist. I, th th there is always Lucchese. <laughs> I insist! Onward! Of course. Now, now uh, we must navigate through this narrow archway. And a sharp turn here. How did you get the cask down here? Oh, that was a problem for the laborers who delivered the goods, not mine. <laughs> Indeed. But I sleep well, knowing my stocks are secure. They are extensive, as you can now see. Fortunato's eyes widened, and as he beheld thousands of bottles of wine neatly arranged in racks, he licked his lips as if he were a low comic actor playing the scene instead of actually unfolding and living it in real life. I am impressed, Montresor. I knew you would be. Where is the Amontillado? What you see here is but a portion of my wine cellar. The rarities are located further on. Indeed. <coughs> are you all right? We, we must go back. Enough! I have not traveled this far for no reason. True, true, true. And I had um, no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you, you should use proper caution. Here, I, I, a sip of this Madoc will protect us from the damp. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Why not, eh? And these, these are burial vaults? Yes, the final resting place for all of my clan. I knocked off the neck of a bottle of wine, which I drew from a long row of its dusty fellows. I handed him the bottle for the first drink. I drink. 
Hmm? To your health. Ah. And to the buried dead of the Montresors who surround us. And I, to your long life. <laughs> Thank you, Montresor. <laughs> These vaults are extensive. The Montresors were a great and numerous family. Mmm, delicious. I forget your family's coat of arms. It is a human foot, bare, in a field of azure. The foot is crushing the head of a serpent whose fangs are embedded in the heel of the foot. Well, that must be something to see. The wine sparkled in his eyes, and I watched intoxication slowly overtake him again. Uh, bring it along with you. Uh, the Amontillado waits. <laughs> A cask. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, 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 watch your step. What? What, 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 what is this place? A, a most unusual addition made by a particularly eccentric ancestor. We stood gazing at innumerable reflections of ourselves above, below, and in front of us. Each reflection featured an optical distortion unique to itself. The effect was overwhelming. An infinity of reflections. Seemingly so. Oh, sorry. Each of the mirrors is positioned just so to reflect a single image into legion. Its effect is most dizzying. Hmm. Not a little sick-inducing. Hmm. There's so many distortions of you and myself. And despite distortions, all equally true and all equally false. If you say. Well, let us make our way through this place as quickly as we may. Agreed. It's, it's not far now. At that moment, I, I felt pity for him. A strong emotion which was before long replaced with the even stronger taste of contempt which made me smile. We proceeded. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and gesticulated his hand and arm in a way that escaped me. You do not comprehend? He gestured again. I stared at him. No, what, what is it? Then you are not of the Brotherhood. I thought not. How? You are not of the Masons. But I am. You Impossible. A mason. <laughs> yes, a mason. The sign. Then, if you are in fact a mason... Ah, uh, here. I answered by producing a trowel from beneath the dark folds of my cloak. <laughs> you toy with me, Montresor. Very good. I see you must be a mason then. Very good indeed. An excellent jest. <laughs> uh, but let us proceed to the Amontillado. Your wish. We journeyed further into the bowels of the recesses, and then, at long last, we have arrived. Finally! Let us hope it was worth the trip. I am sure it will be. What in God's name? The walls were lined with human remains, piled 
to the vault overhead in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris, three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this magnificent French manner. From the fourth, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some considerable size. <laughs> bones and the smell mm, the unsanctified remains of enemies long past look just ahead do you see where the bones cover that that small opening the Amontillado. I nodded and led him toward the dark chamber. We displaced the foul bones until the path was clear enough for us to proceed. Quite an adventure I've gotten into tonight. <laughs> mm. Help me move these aside. Hmm? <laughs> we displaced the foul bones until the path was clear enough for us to proceed. Don't be squeamish. Squeamish? Here, the, the, the cast is in this uh, recess. Here? Hmm? Why, the Latin barely pierces the dark. I had to keep it secure, given its value. Quite so. I don't understand why my buyers didn't hear of this. Happenstance, after you. After roughly 15 feet, we were stopped by a granite wall. For a nearly comical moment, my friend stood stupidly bewildered. In the next moment... I realized a deft maneuver I had practiced countless times for the occasion. Grabbing a chain and shackle, I fettered him to the granite. I forced both hands above his head. The bottle dropped. His hands completed their startled journey, arriving at their terminus in the shackle, which was immediately locked. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Mutterzor! Feel the damp? It is excessive. And I dimly perceive an astonishing number of webs for such a small enclosure. <laughs> Once more, I implore you to return. Please? <laughs> no? Then I must leave you, but first... I thought we were... I render you my best. All right. Enough carnival frivolity. <laughs> don't leave, Montresor. Please don't leave me. Surely th this is a joke. We are... We are... Montresor! Yes, my friend? Oh, I knew it was a jest. You didn't leave. No. First... Masonry for the Mason. Fortunato's intoxication had, of course, worn off, so sobering was his current moment. This I knew from the low, wailing moan that, as my building progressed and his terror grew, began to emanate from the depth of the recess, from the depth of his tomb. It was not the cry of a drunken man, but of one who now understood his nightmare was real. This was followed by what I regarded as a long and obstinate silence. I labored on. After I had laid the fourth tier of stones, I heard the frenzied rattling of the chains mingled with the pathetically comic jingling of the bells in his fool's cap. 
I decided to rest a moment and enjoy the symphony. I've always appreciated new music, and this was quite a passionate performance. When the music subsided, I resumed. When the wall was at breast level, I raised my lantern, casting a dull glow upon the motley figure within, and then... I was pushed violently back by the suddenness of the sound. I I hesitated a moment. I even trembled. Then I decided to reply. It was nearly midnight. My labors were nearly complete. There was now but one stone remaining to be placed in the wall. I readied the heavy stone. But before I placed it, I heard... (laughs) An excellent jest. We shall have many laughs over it in the future at your palazzo. Over wine? Amontillado. Yes, Amontillado. Mm. But now the hour is late. Come, we must be going to the palazzo. There my wife and the others are friends. Please? Why? My wife? Oh, I will take care of the Lady Fortunato. As I always have been. A lie. (laughs) I added that merely to enhance the suffering of his final suffering. Montezor. Hmm? For the love of God. Yes. Yes. For the love of God. My heart grew sick. I hastened to make an end to my labor. I forced the last stone into its position and plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I resurrected the bones as they were before. I left and I did not return. For half a century, no mortal has disturbed the tomb. And then, today, this evening, the anniversary of the deed. Out of some strange species of curiosity, I I have returned. Everything seemed as it was that night long ago, but as I grew closer, I saw the stones had been displaced, and then I heard... (laughs) (laughs) The Cask of Amontillado was adapted from Poe's story by Tony Sindeas. I played Montresor, and Chris Fingston played Fortunato. It was recorded before a live audience at Baltimore Theater Project one Halloween night a few years ago. The soundscape and sound effects were created by David Crandall. The live sound Foley artists 
were Mike Moran and Susan Stroop. The recording engineer was Bill Dixon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. We have many more stories to tell. The original contents of this program copyright, The Mark Redfield Company. From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. Spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again dead around thee. My parents were actors. True. And I claim my birthright this evening as the heir to their talents and to their purpose. You are here this evening, no doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. I haven't told you what it is yet. <laughs> my father, <laughs> my father fled, leaving the dimmest of memories. And so, after my mother's untimely passing, my, uh, my brother, my sister, and I, well, we were parceled out to the charity of the various Richmond, Virginia households. My whole life has been a long and a desperate struggle with the ills attendant upon. You know, for, for many years, my, uh, my, my stories, my tales, that more popular than my poetry. And magazines and readership just demanded, oh, new tale, every issue. So that now, uh, my collected fiction might fill uh, six stones. Oh, seven volumes, size of ordinary novels. Now that's a mere shelf in a library, but in range, tone, and in scope of imagined incident, it is a world, a universe in its details and its entirety. Okay, do you hear it? Louder, 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 louder! Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the need. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. I do feel that I must tell you <laughs> that there are those those who uh, favor transcendentalism. <laughs> now, they, they, they say that my tales do not transcend. <laughs> they claim my tales do not hoist the reader up by the scruff of the spirit to a higher metaphysical plane. <laughs>
They argue that my tales do not provide a moral to direct the reader to a life more reverently lived. Would you care to hear one read in the voice of its author? 